This is Dr. Michael Bricky with Ageless Lifestyles, cutting-edge thinking for being youthful at every age. On each program, I interview experts on what it takes to live longer, healthier, and happier. Today's show is Orchestrating Your Life with Music and Sounds You Choose. Imagine watching a movie with no music soundtrack, or even worse, random music soundtrack. The content would be the same, but the experience would be anemic or even annoying. Most of us don't choreograph the sounds, music, and activities in our lives. Alex Doman, author of Healing at the Speed of Sound, tells why we should. Alex Doman, welcome. Thank you, uh, Dr. Bricky. Pleasure to be here. Could you start by sharing with us the foundation behind your research, namely the work of French otolaryngologist Alfred Tomatis? Yeah, certainly. We have many influences for our work at Advanced Brain Technologies, among them the work of this great ear, nose, and throat physician that practiced in Paris from 50 through to the early 2000s at the time he had passed away. And Dr. Tomatis has such a, a rich and detailed story, it's difficult to do justice, but with brevity, he grew up as the son of a singer in the Paris Opera and uh, went went to Paris actually quite young and specialized as an ear-nose throat physician, treating in particular voice disorders. And at that time, some of the typical treatments for singers that were having difficulty projecting their voice was actually strychnine injections <laughs> into oh, the vocal cords in an attempt to strengthen them. And as this young physician was finding this standard method of practice was not effective, he began looking at what else could be affecting the voice. And what he discovered was uh, something called the Tomatis effect, which is the voice can only reproduce what the ear can perceive. So he put together the correlation that unless the brain was processing the right auditory input from its environment, it wasn't possible for the voice to reproduce that sound with accuracy. And we often see this when we see a deaf individual speaking. There's not great intonation, uh, not great clarity and fluidity within the speech. So this doctor actually developed a method to train the ear and essentially the brain to improve its listening ability, to filter out noise in the environment, to focus on the sounds that we want to hear, and to essentially reestablish the brain's ability to understand what it hears. And that's a great deal of the foundation uh, of the work we're doing today. And then how did you end up collaborating with Don Campbell in authoring Healing at the Speed of Sound? Uh, that was an interesting story. You know, my uh, my dear departed friend Don has been really one of the greatest influencers in the world in terms of the public's understanding of the greater effects of music in all of our lives and the fact that it's more than just entertainment. And it was in Baden, Austria, at a, a conference we were presenting at called Mozart and Science, which is a scientific conference on music effects research. We were introduced in 2006 at that event, broke bread over a couple of meals, 
and became fast friends, and uh, that started our, our discussion about the impact of sound in the world and the latest research that had happened in our own research developments, and then that led to the discussion which initiated the co-authorship of Healing of the Speed of Sound together. And Don Campbell is also famous back in 1997 when he authored The Mozart Effect, which was very popular. Uh, Certainly, and that's, you know, that is the book that most in the field credit with bringing the general public's awareness to this idea that music really matters within our lives. At the time that the book was written, it fell under some criticism by the scientific community because there was not a lot of clear evidence toward the effects of music on education and health. But since that time, neurosciences and other fields have produced an amazing body of music effects research that helps us clearly understand the impact music is making in each of our lives. In Healing at the Speed of Sound, you begin by writing, talking about how we want to define the outcome that we want or the mood or state that we want and choose our music accordingly. Could you give us some examples of that, maybe with how to choose what music to wake up with? Well, we each start our day with sound, and it's a matter of whether or not we're conscious about that sound that we're choosing. Some people wake up to a blaring alarm clock, and and if you think about that, that noise of that alarm clock is startling the brain and the body is the start of the day and actually triggering in some a stress response called fight or flight. It's that instant alert, something's happened, am I safe? So rather than a blaring alarm clock, I'd recommend, for example, if somebody's a rather light sleeper, they might consider using one of the sleep machines that has a nice variety of nature sounds that you can wake up to, or actually to uh, select a playlist of sounds of nature on an iPod that could be used to waken them up. Heavy sleepers, like my 16-year-old son, <laughs> you know, you could have a train drive through the room. <laughs> it's going to be difficult to, to wake them up. And for those, maybe something like Strauss waltzes hit a fairly strong volume is going to be just what they need to get aroused and out of bed in the morning. So what I love about this is that it's not one size fits all, but it's very individualized to, to personality and lifestyle and, and physiology. If we think about it, we all have different genres of music, different artists that we enjoy, and so much of that is influenced by our own upbringing, our culture, and just what our individual preferences are. So one thing that Don and I thought was really important in Healing at the Speed of Sound is not that we provided specific playlists that were a one-size-fits-all, because it certainly isn't the case but rather to teach people how to use the music that they already enjoy, but to use it in a more intentional way to help enhance their their health, their lifestyle, and their productivity. And one of the fascinating things about the way that you wrote is it's an interactional book, which I haven't really seen before at this depth, where you say, here's a website you can go to, here's some uh, music that are good examples of the effect that we're talking about, here's some videos, and it makes the book so alive and personal. Even though there's 263 pages in the hardcover, this book is an encyclopedia collection deep in terms of information. 
and it comes through that interactivity. You know, Don and I envisioned that in today's world we needed a multi-sensory book. We can write about sound and you can read about sound, but the impact comes when you experience it. So we wanted to provide uh, links to musical examples, to techniques that you could try and begin implementing in your own home, to videos that demonstrate uh, different music approaches, as well as links to more in-depth research and information. So there are approximately 100 interactive links within the book that the reader is able to go to, to to deepen that experience with the content. It's kind of analogous to being on the internet. Yes, you're on one website, but you've got links all over the place and the links link to other links. And as you said, it's far more than just the book. You can dive as deep as you like. And and one way that I encourage readers to read the book is to read the book first and it's broken into different topics from you know starting your day with sound to music and aging to music and early childhood and just to read it as a book then to go through and use it and experience it by taking the time to dive into those links in the topic areas that people are going to be most interested in and at that point in their life to give some more examples of individualizing by the results that you want what kind of advice would you give to an Olympic weightlifter on music that would optimize his weightlifting performance or her weightlifting Well, you know, that depends if it's a gold medalist or a bronze medalist. <laughs> <laughs> the gold medalist may have it dialed in, and, and we don't want to mess with whatever their technique is. Uh, obviously, anyone that has reached a level in their athleticism that they're an Olympic athlete, they have figured out just what's right for them but in general as we think about exercise and music these are two naturals because the body and the brain entrain to the external rhythm of the music so in general terms if we want to engage in exercise like yoga for example that's a little slower in pacing you're going to use slower tempo more gentle music if you're doing cardio work, you need something up-tempo that's going to get heart rate and breath rate up, but not driving you too hard. And in the case of weightlifting, for example, what we actually see works quite well is pretty heavy rock music, hip-hop, something that has a strong bass line and a strong driving beat, or a message, a lyrical message that is driving you to succeed and perform. You know, never listening to that music too loudly, but that music can really drive the work effect in an exercise routine and actually increase the performance simply by putting a little music on in the background. And if anyone's thinking this is just Mozart, probably a majority of your recommendations aren't classical music or certainly not that era of classical music. It's interesting that you bring that up. I've been uh, working uh, to produce music that's instrumental, largely classical, over the course of my career, but most people are are surprised to find out that my musical roots are in early punk rock. So in terms of the music that's recommended throughout the book, you know, it it is everything from country to jazz to hip-hop to world music and Latin rhythms, so working with people from all over the world from diverse cultural backgrounds, it's about finding the right music that you have access to that resonates and feels good to you, and just how do you use it a little bit better in your life. 
what can you tell us about music and pain management? That's a very interesting area. In terms of the use of music and pain pain management, you know, I, I encourage the listeners on the call to think back to their childhood and maybe a moment where you scraped your knee. And when your knee was scraped and mom was putting on a Band-Aid and singing you a, a song to soothe you and make you feel better, uh, what she was actually doing is employing a diversion technique. And musical diversion is a very effective means in which to control pain. Because when the brain is focused on the music, it's able to ignore those pain sensations. So it's actually musical diversion that is the primary influence that's allowing you to manage pain. Over the years, we've developed music and worked with others' music that is used very effectively in reducing the amount of pain medicine that's required post-surgically. When my wife gave birth to our youngest son, uh, we were using music to help control the pain of the contractions rather than going to medication so that we'd have a healthy, natural uh, childbirth. It's all an interactive cycle, but it's interesting that you chose to focus on diversion as opposed to, say, relaxing breathing or relaxing muscles. Can you tell us any more about why you see diversion as the, the key to it? Diversion's a key, but your your point of relaxation, for example, which is going to use a slower tempoed instrumental music, which is going to lower heart rate, lower stress levels, allow people to go into a state of relaxation where they can maybe focus and meditate and consciously work on that pain management. So that becomes more of a conscious process. Whereas musical diversion, when you get lost in the lyrics, when you get lost in the musical rhythm and you go into that music, you escape from that current pain place that you're at. So the advantage of diversion and why I speak to that is is a primary means is because you can do that rather unconsciously. And some of the associations that went off for me is in hypnosis primarily what's going on is diversion and some of the interesting hypnotic techniques will be things like the kid has a, a bloody knee and you say wow I've never seen blood like that and you, you get the kid focusing on the blood and suddenly he forgets the pain you focus on the, the blood happening and then you inadvertently uh, block the pain pathway in the process certainly with aging, we often get hearing loss, and it's primarily in the upper frequencies. How, particularly in view of the quote that you had from uh, Tomatis, what can we do about that? Well, the, the first step is prevention in our younger years and starting with educating our, our own children about healthy listening practices. It's interesting you bring up hearing loss and aging because we actually have a new incidence of music-induced hearing loss in teenagers. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not just happening in the aging, it's actually happening in our kids through poor listening habits of listening too loud, too long through the earbuds that come with their phone, their iTouch, or their iPod. Now, you know, I use those devices as do my kids, but rather than earbuds, we use high-quality headphones that allow us to listen at a lower listening level, and I recommend no one ever listen longer than one hour uh, at a time through headphones so the ears have a chance to actually rest. Uh, there are two little muscles 
uh, in that middle ear that actually control the volume of music coming into the auditory system. And if we listen through headphones too long, it actually begins to fatigue that system and we lose our self-protection to loud sounds. So prevention, avoiding noisy environments, you know, a lot of people that work in occupations that are loud suffer occupational hearing loss. But as you mentioned, presbycusis is part of the aging process, but I think that that can be prevented at many levels through healthy listening practices early in life. And the age-related hearing loss is important because you mentioned those high-frequency sounds. And Tomatis found that those are the frequencies that act much like a battery to the brain. We have more neurons, more auditory brain cells dedicated to the high-frequency range of sound than we do other frequency bands. And that allows us to understand some importance about these high frequencies, which we generally find charging and enlivening. And often we see correlated with aging a higher incidence of depression. And we can see that uh, side by side along with the hearing loss so that we do know we see more depression as people lose their hearing as well. So there's a number of important things to consider, but most importantly to use good listening habits and then to use music responsibly as we're aging to help keep that system alive and engaged so we can process sounds better. And your approach is very aggressive about rooting out all of the unnecessary noise in your environment and in in your life. And you even point out that a lot of the rock stars are experiencing very serious hearing loss. I think that it's um, time to really sound an alarm and to help people understand that sound is a pillar of our health. This is the one influence in our life that is happening 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, whether we're awake or we're asleep, sound is coming into our body. So we need to be conscious about what we're around. Now, it doesn't mean that we all run to a cave in the hills and avoid society. We have to live in the world and interact in the environment in which we live within reason. But there's simple steps that we can take to help reduce the risks of hearing loss and to put good sound practices to work. Back on the hearing loss that is associated with age, obviously, A hearing aid uh, may help some with that. You have designed some music to compensate for that kind of hearing loss? What you're referring to, I believe, Mike, is a listening program, Mm -hmm. which is a music listening therapy method that incorporates very specifically created, recorded, and engineered music that teaches the brain how to hear. So it's not training hearing, but training something called auditory processing, which is what the brain does with what it hears. So what we're really working on is the neuronal aspect of listening as opposed to the mechanical aspect of listening. So for individuals that have problems discriminating voices in a crowd or at a party, you know, filtering out the background noise at a party and holding Mm -hmm. a conversation, we've all experienced that in a a restaurant or two in our lifetime. 
to keep the strength of listening up so we can listen at lower volumes to the television so that we can actually understand what our companions or spouses are saying. Often men are accused of having selective hearing and often men have some auditory processing issues, so they're not necessarily hearing everything that's being delivered to them. So there's much that can be done through the listening process to help improve that brain's ability to understand what it hears. So it's addressing the brain's software rather than the brain's hardware. Well, it's it's interesting that you mention software and hardware because the listening program is a neuroplasticity-based program. So you are listening 15 to 30 minutes a day, five days a week over the course of several months for a foundational program to help facilitate the strengthening of the auditory neural connection. So we actually are contributing to improving the wiring of that system in the gray matter, which are the short connections, and in the white matter that are the lengthening connections that connect different parts of the brain to each other. So we're improving the ability of that system to function, the efficiency of that system, but also helping to improve actually the network, uh, the neural network that's responsible for auditory perception. The learning program, if I remember right, you work with autistic kids, with other students, with a variety of problems. Could you give us an outline of how those differ from each other? We use the listening program in a range of individuals from healthy newborn children to individuals that are aging in assisted living facilities to coma and stroke patients to kids with learning challenges, uh, individuals with autism spectrum disorders, and wounded warriors that are suffering from traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress disorder, even including uh, helping executives that have suffered burnout and are in a depressed state. All of us have the same basic neural functioning, meaning that the system, the components of the brain are all the same. So at a foundational level, what we do first of all is we improve the response to stress. So we help the limbic system, we help the autonomic nervous system automatically regulate our stress levels. So when stress is lowered, then we're better able to attend, to communicate, and to engage in life, and that supports our higher-level executive functions. The program also works on these higher-level functions to improve attention, communication, and social interaction as well. So we're working really on two levels, from the bottom up, from the brain stem to the brain's cortex, and then back down as well. And the music that you have that's, quote, 360 degrees, can you tell us about that? I'd love to. One of the things that we pioneered in the early 2000s was a method of recording classical music in which we we did something that makes many classical musicians cringe. (laughs) When we bring our ensemble into the recording studio, we actually record each musician in their own sound booth. So we capture the auditory image of each instrument discreetly, uh, individually. Then when we go into post-production, we actually process that sound much like you would a Hollywood movie, and that is in a 5.1 surround sound mode. So we're actually placing instruments around you 
so that when you put on the headphones to do the program, you are in the center of the musicians, and the musicians are playing in 360-degree space around you. The reason that we do that and the benefit of that is we live in a multidimensional world where we are extracting sounds from everywhere around us. And much of the way that we as human beings identify and understand where we are in the world is by orienting to our environment through sound. So one of the things the listening program does in this technique called spatial surround technology is allows the brain to train and practice hearing in this uh, multidimensional environment through the listening process. So that's a very core feature of the training because many people simply don't know where they are in the world. They have a difficulty processing sound in their environment. And this is particularly true of many of the children that we serve that have developmental and cognitive uh, challenges. So the effect is somewhat different than, say, a musician who's literally in the orchestra playing, uh, but it's, it's not exactly what he or she would hear. No, if you put yourself in the place of a musician in the orchestra, depending on the instrument that that player plays, they're going to have a very specific orientation and color of sound that is coming to them. So if they're sitting in the woodwind section or in the wind section or near the timpani, their experience is very different than what we're providing. For one, in an orchestra, you may have up to 100 musicians playing at once. So there's a fairly large wall of sound that's difficult to discriminate specific features within. In the listening program with the spatial surround process within headphones, we can control a lot of that, and we never present more than five instruments at one time. So they're spaced nicely in front of you, to your side and back of you, and the ear and the brain can direct and focus on the different instruments very easily, more toward what a very good conductor can do. It is the conductor's job in the orchestra to keep everyone playing together and the world's best conductors have laser focus in their hearing, and if they have a musician that's off and even a note sometimes, they can pick that air up in the whole orchestra and begin to compensate for it. So think of it more toward giving you a conductor's listening ability as opposed to a musician's. It sounds like it'd be fabulous training for orchestral musicians, too. We've had the benefit of working with many musicians, including musicians that perform for our program, that actually use our program to train their music listening ability. It's extremely effective. We're talking with Alex Doman, who is the founder of Advanced Brain Technologies, which is a leading provider of products to improve brain functioning at schools, healthcare facilities, military facilities, and homes. We've talked some about the listening program, and in a few minutes we'll talk about the Brain Builder. Alex, you're in Ogden, Utah. Yes, we're just north of Salt Lake City, about 35 miles here at the base of the Wasatch Mountains. And you mentioned that your co-author, Don Campbell, unfortunately died in June of 2012. Yes, he, he did. He, he was diagnosed with a pancreatic cancer earlier in the year. And the websites are the same as the book title, healingatthespeedofsound.com, healingatthespeedofsound.com, and also advancedbrain.com, which refers to your 
business in particular and the CDs and training programs that you have with that. And there's a wealth of information uh, at both sites. Tell us a little more about Advanced Brain Technologies. I started the company back in 1998 as an outgrowth of an organization I served within called the National Association for Child Development, which my father had founded back in 1979. And the purpose for Advanced Brain Technologies was to develop brain-based products that would help improve people's lives. And that included music, software, as well as audio programs and audio equipment. Over the course of our 14 years, that work has evolved quite a bit, and our vision is to really transform the life of every person on the earth by helping them achieve sound brain fitness. That means to improve their brain function, improve their life by bringing the right sound into their life. So what we do in large part is train licensed healthcare professionals and educators around the world, actually in over 35 countries, to understand the methods that we develop and how to share this work with the students that they may be serving in a public or private school, patients in a nursing home or assisted living facility, uh, a inpatient or outpatient rehab, a hospital, uh, in a wellness program in a corporation or even on a U.S. Army base or a VA hospital, as I mentioned earlier, work, working with uh, our wounded warriors. So we're serving uh, all ages through essentially prescriptive or therapeutic music programs that are evidence-based as well as more ambient music programs that are played in the background to enhance your performance in the moment. And more recently, we've created what's a really exciting uh, development in the field, and that is a cloud-based system in which people can listen to individualized sound brain fitness programs with a listening program on their web-connected device, whether it's an iPad, an iTouch, or an iPhone, or their PC, or their Mac. So they're actually able to do that listening online in the cloud. Uh, this is a fairly recent development that uh, we've just started sharing with the world. We're very, very excited about. When you say individualized, is the recipient individualizing it or is a uh, trainer? A combination. The technology, which is called TLP Cloud, has a baseline sound brain fitness scale that actually looks at seven areas of brain performance, you know, executive functioning, communication, auditory processing, stress response, motor coordination, social, emotional, and creative expression. And we do a Likert-based scale that allows the individual or the parent doing the assessment for their child to prioritize the areas in their life they most want to improve. And then within TLP Cloud, there's an artificial intelligence that actually begins to construct a personalized program for that individual based on that intake. And then those individuals are re-baselined over time as they're doing their listening and their programs are modified. They have the ability to optimize different schedules. And then for families that may need more support of a trainer, we actually have certified coaches that work with those individuals to further refine their program and help them get the most from their training. We've kind of waded into the brain builder. Let me use an analogy, a couple examples, although I realize these aren't auditory-based. 
when I was teaching my teenage son how to drive, I thought, with all the video games he plays, this should be a snap. And he, he said, Dad, how in the world does somebody learn how to, to focus on the uh, street in front of you, the speed, the, the pedals, the mirrors, the signs? And it was much more difficult than I anticipated. A second analogy is you see all these articles in magazines, 10 ways to improve your brain. They say, well, do crossword puzzles. Well, I, I think crossword puzzles will improve your ability to do crossword puzzles, but I doubt if it generalizes all that much to other areas. Can you tell us about the evidence-based research on how this generalizes and on the effectiveness of it? I've been real fortunate to come from a family that's been doing brain-based training development for individuals since World War II. Um, so uh, this this has uh, been a long time in development, three generations. And before there was a field called brain fitness, and there's a, a very a large growing field of business called brain fitness. My family's been involved with this for, for a very long time. And what you're speaking to with respect to brain builder is uh, auditory and visual sequential processing and what's called auditory and visual working memory. And, and it's training, it's assessing those neurological abilities and training those abilities so that we can improve that capacity. So the question is, you know, what is working memory? Working memory is that mental scratch pad that when somebody's speaking to you and you're listening to them, you're making note of what they're saying to decide how you're going to respond to it. It's what your son's doing when you're giving him multiple step instructions. And uh, when he was younger and you said, you know, Johnny, and I don't know your son's name, but Johnny, go to your room take your socks out of your drawer, put your socks and shoes on and come downstairs and go to the bus. And 10 minutes later, you're looking for Johnny and you go upstairs and you find him in his room playing with his cars. You say, you know, Johnny, what are you doing? He said, I'm playing with my cars. He said, well, why haven't you left for the bus? He said, oh, I'm supposed to go to school? <laughs> you can't hold all of the pieces of information in sequence in that working memory, which is a one-minute memory store mm -hmm. in order to follow through on the activity, our ability to comprehend the information that we read, to hold a conversation, to engage with other individuals is all dependent on that working memory ability. So it affects everything we do in our awake state. It's one of the most foundational processes within the brain in terms of executive function, controlling, planning, and organizing our lives. So what the Brain Builder technology does is it's a software system that does a baseline assessment so we know what your visual and working memory capacity is. Then once that baseline is done, again, an individualized program is built that in a 15 or 30 minute daily training session, five days a week, you log in, you first of all listen to some music which puts your brain into a receptive learning state, then you do memory exercises that challenge your memory, not to teach you techniques to memorize things, but to improve how much information you can store in that immediate working memory capacity. And it's done at a very specific frequency, intensity, and duration. Each exercise is just two to three minutes long. 
So the brain is very engaged in that exercise, and its response is to begin to change and enhance that memory by challenging the memory's ability over time. So we do the exercises, and if over time, if I do those same exercises, I would uh, expect some improvement in performance. Can you tell us about cross-validation with uh, somewhat different measures than the format of the, the training itself? Certainly. You know, Mike, most commonly what we're testing is tested with something called a eight-digit span. And that digit span is that measure of what we can hold in working memory. An average adult was found uh, in the studies that were done in the 70s by Miller to be able to hold five plus or minus two pieces of information in sequence. So, for example, a phone number, a sequence of seven. Interestingly, the difference between five to nine is night and day. Mm -hmm. You see an individual that has a digit span of five, that's a teenager and an adult, you're generally going to have somebody with attentional and learning challenges, whereas somebody at a nine is going to be a higher-performing individual. So there are hundreds of peer-reviewed studies in the literature which draw direct correlations to your digit span and your reading comprehension, your learning ability, your organizational abilities, math computation, chess skills, this generalizes to the populace. We've recently had a study completed on our brain builder technology uh, that was carried out at the NYU School of Medicine and Columbia University. Investigators were Dr. L. Conan Goldberg, Cameron Fallopor uh, in New York, as well as colleagues. And what they did is they did a randomized placebo-controlled gold standard clinical trial in which adults age 50 to 65, a lot of your listeners may mm -hmm. be per perking up right now, <laughs> that had no diagnosed cognitive dysfunction, so normal adults, and they did a six-week training program of 30 minutes a day, five days a week, either with Brain Builder, or they were assigned to a, to a group that did activities on the computer to learn about memory in the brain. So these two groups were baselined with a battery of what are called psychometric tests. And these psychometric tests are developed by a company in Australia called the Brain Resource Company, and it's called WebNeural. So it is an online psychometric test battery that looks at nine areas of cognitive performance. And the brief outcome um, with 74 subjects in the trial is that we had statistically significant different results in the psychometric testing on the brain builder group compared to the other computer group. And then, you know, based on our clinical experience and what you see in the literature, we'll understand what the generalization of that's going to be uh, within people's lives. So we've seen, fortunately, in recent years, a large body of research in other studies with other techniques further validating the importance of working memory and the fact that it can be improved through specific uh, brain fitness training. So it's easy to see how this is a combination. As you said, uh, you start by getting people in a relaxed, receptive state, and then you build the skills. Digit span, for example, is it's almost the stepping stone to uh, just about any kind of learning. It fits together very nicely. 
Well, it does. And, you know, the the good news is this isn't difficult in terms of uh, the type of work we do with a listening program. All that's required is somebody put on a pair of headphones and listen to music for 15 or 30 minutes a day. With Brain Builder, it's simply engaging in novel exercises, not games, not crosswords, but exercises that are fun, challenging for a short period of time that get those neurons firing and actually begin to improve their brain performance. And the beautiful thing is you begin to see results you know, fairly quickly, so you're motivated to move forward and do more. So it, it's wonderful that you know, we can do so much with so little. What do you have in the future that you're working on? Well, uh, that's that's a wonderful question, and, and the future is really now with this TLP Cloud project. Uh, we started development on this uh, nine years ago and waited for a convergence of technologies to happen that would allow this to take place. And just, you know, just for some perspective, in the early work of the Tomatis method, uh, patients would need to fly to Paris uh, generally for two to three months to do that initial listening training at a cost of several thousand dollars. Whereas now with a technology like TLB Cloud, you'll log into the website, you sign up for a membership for as little as $25 a month, put on a good pair of headphones, and have a personalized program delivered to your iPod or to your iPad. Mm -hmm. This streaming technology is where much of our attention is going to be over the next few years, but we always have a number of things in development, and musically we've got some exciting new projects with non-classical music that we're producing, uh, a new sleep program that we've actually uh, created with neuroscientist uh, Seth Horowitz uh, that we're very excited to be bringing out before the end of the year that's really going to help improve the lives of people with sleep disorders and, and a number of other things. So if uh, people stay tuned to us at advancedbrain.com, they'll see lots of exciting things to come. Sleep problems are so common. Can you give us any clues as to how you're putting together the, the sleep program? I, I'd be happy to. The sleep program is a combination of uh, different musical programs that have been recorded or actually composed and recorded specifically to help take the brain into a sleep state. Within that music are embedded different audio technologies and one of the technologies in particular that Dr. Horowitz and uh, his partner Lance Massey created actually induced something called a sopite reflex in the vestibular system of the brain and it's akin to when you rock a baby to sleep so that rocking motion is actually emulated through sound in headphones or Mm. speakers between the left and the right ear. And it's a very effective and proprietary uh, technology that helps induce sleep. And the purpose of that is to teach the brain through entrainment to take in these rhythms and sounds so that gradually over the course of time, we can take the music away and the brain's going to maintain that experience and be able to do that quite naturally for people that have sleep disturbances. Fascinating. Just out of curiosity, does any of your research involve CAT scans, PET scans, MRIs, things like that? Uh, that that's a terrific question. Most of uh, the research that's done in our programs is done with 
standardized, more functional assessments as opposed to brain imaging technologies. The interesting thing about brain imaging, let's say a functional uh, MRI uh, as one example, is it gives us a glimpse into an area of activation in the brain, but it doesn't tell us a lot about uh, behavioral function and what the the result of that activation is going to be. So we're, we're more behaviorally based in looking at what the specific outcomes are, but in ways that can be you know, definitely measured so that we can understand whether or not we you know, have a statistical change of a standard deviation in performance to allow us to know that it is more than a placebo effect, something that's very real that is taking place. Quite a bit of EEG work has been done in conjunction with the music programs, but generally we're working and looking at very specific learning and behavioral outcomes. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? This has been such a a wide-reaching conversation. I've really enjoyed it, Mike. You know, I think as we you know wrap up this conversation, I just like to you know reinforce for everybody listening that we each hold an an innate unlimited potential. And it's simply a matter of the experiences that we give our children or have in our own lives, coupled with the environment that we live in, that help uh, dictate what our lives are going to be. And to understand that sound is an incredible influence on each of us, can create stress, but it can also relieve stress. It can induce pain and it can relieve pain. So noise can be the stressor and music can be the anecdote. And we all have in the power of an iPod and a pair of headphones an amazing tool in sound and in music to enhance all area of our lives and our our children and our grandchildren's lives. So it's about being able to take more control of our own brain. Absolutely. We're talking with Alex Doman, who is the founder of Advanced Brain Technologies, which works with schools, healthcare facilities, military facilities, and individuals. The website is advancedbrain.com. Alex is also co-author of Healing at the Speed of Sound, along with Don Campbell. Particularly, the Healing at the Speed of Sound is just a really, really rich book, and You've certainly whet my appetite. I need to check out Brain Builder on myself and some family members, and looking forward to that. Alex, I thank you so much, and I really appreciate uh, you sharing with us. Uh, Mike, thank you. I, I really enjoyed the time with you. Thanks so much. Commentary. Alex Doman gives a very comprehensible and individualized perspective on intentionally taking control of what you hear. Matching sounds and music to the states and outcomes you want has practically self-evident benefits. Healing at the speed of sound is like having a personal trainer for what you hear and the consequent benefits of better performance and better emotional and physical health. Because of our limited working memory, we cannot focus on all the things that we would like to all the time. But we can take some time out periodically to consider how to optimize the sounds and the music in our lives. Miller's 1950s research on working memory found that most people can briefly remember seven numbers plus or minus two. Working memory for letters and words is somewhat shorter. 
Legend has it that AT&T used his research to justify changing phone numbers from the first two letters of a word, plus five numbers, for example, Beechwood 45789, to seven numbers. DigitSpan is one of the 11 subtests on the Wexler Adult Intelligence Scale, or IQ test. The DigitSpan is one of its three subtests that comprise the Working Memory Index and is thought to be largely genetic in origin. That well-chosen music or brain-builder exercises could somehow enhance performance on DigitSpan by helping you become more focused and more relaxed makes sense. If it improves cognitive functioning beyond that by improving neural integration and speech perception, that would be quite a breakthrough. I certainly plan to try it out myself. I chose to interview Alex Dolman because of the quality and importance of his book and research. I don't have any business relationship with him. If you are wondering what his products cost, his website indicates that CDs start at $16 and the Brain Builder program is $200 for up to five users. Websites again are healingatthespeedofsound.com and advancedbrain.com. You are listening to Ageless Lifestyles on webtalkradio.net and permanently archived on agelesslifestyles.com. For information on my books, Defy Aging and 52 Baby Steps to Grow Young, my anti-aging hypnosis CDs, personal coaching, and keynote and seminar services, just go to notaging.com or drbricky.com, D-R-B-R-I-C-K-E-Y.com. I'd love to hear your comments and suggestions. Send them to radio at agelesslifestyles.com. This is your anti-aging psychologist, Dr. Michael Bricky, thanking you for joining us on our quest to live longer, healthier, and happier.